Welcome to the Estate Planning Project. My name is Mary Bart, Chair of Caregiving Matters. Our purpose with this project is public education on a wide range of estate planning topics. With a growing aging population, unprecedented wealth transfer from one generation to the next, and the dramatic rise in estate litigation, the need for estate planning public education has never been greater. This is a technology-based project that will produce podcasts, articles, and blog posts. As a social collaborative initiative, experts such as lawyers, estate planners, and financial planners will share their thoughts and ideas on a bottomless pit of estate planning topics. This project offers general information only and is not a substitute for seeking personalized professional advice. And our guest expert today is Timothy Sullivan, and he is principal with Sullivan Law. They are based in Ottawa, Ontario, and their practice covers eastern and southern Ontario. Timothy has been practicing law since his call to the bar in 2002. His focus is on family law, civil litigation, and wills and estates. So welcome, Timothy, to our project. Thank you. I would like to tell everybody that the topic of our conversation today is the importance of communication about a will. So, Timothy, I have a series of questions that I hope you can answer. So let's get going with the first one. My first question is, what is one of the biggest issues some face when a family member dies? The legal issue that families face when a family member dies is to try to take steps to respect the deceased's intentions. The family will have to go through a process of uh, grieving, uh, dealing with uh, the funeral and the burial and so forth. The issue that uh, they hand to lawyers at some point is um, what now? And the what now, when it comes to the lawyer's point of view, is where's the will? There might, if there's a will and a family law lawyer, the family's lawyer knows where it is, um, that's a, a big step in taking uh, to move along that, uh, those issues. You don't need to find the lawyer so much as to find the will. And at that stage, uh, a legal professional may be of some assistance. If the family knows where the will is, or at least where a copy of the will is, uh, they could probably track down the original. The contents of the will will be needed. You'll have to know what the contents of the will are in order to know what the next steps are. The importance for a family after the death of uh, a family member uh, from a legal perspective is track down the will, uh, know what it says, and then you take steps from there. And my next question is, why is finding a lawyer difficult or an issue at all, actually? And what's the solution? The trouble with, with trying to locate the lawyer might be that the testator, the deceased in this case, uh, may not have used a, a regular lawyer, may not have had somebody as the go-to person. So it's the will you want to find, not necessarily the lawyer who prepared the will, although finding the lawyer who prepared the will may be 
a pretty good uh, a place to start in trying to find the will itself. A lot of lawyers uh, who prepare wills will store those wills and store the originals. A copy is usually provided to the testator and the name of the law firm or the lawyer preparing it uh, should be indicated somewhere on that, uh, on that will. So the difficulty in finding the will or finding the lawyer who prepared the will will, lo will largely be due to not knowing who that testator uh, dealt with uh, in the course of uh, legal dealings during lifetime. If you just find a lawyer in the yellow pages or wherever and you attend to get a will signed and you never hear of this lawyer again or you or the family doesn't know that that was done, it's a difficult place uh, to start from in order to find where the original will is. You might not need the original will, but you do need to know what the contents of the will are and you will need to know uh, why, or sorry, you'll need to know what is in the will in order to know if you have to have it probated. So tracking down the lawyer is the first step in trying to find the, uh, the, the will itself, the original will. Well, that's interesting, and that must be a challenge for some people to um, even to have to take that step. And I bet people don't even think that they have to do that. So thank you for sharing that. I encourage clients to have an open discussion with their uh, with their family members and when somebody's preparing a will and you, when you think of it it's a pretty important document uh, to get right and if you're spending the time preparing one you should probably spend the time in doing it properly and that will often mean communication with the family members and the beneficiaries and and the executors or the intended executors and it's in that discussion you may say, you know, my will is located at such and such a place or I want to go see a certain lawyer uh, to get this uh, done. Well, that's a, a great point, and it brings me to my next question. How do you ensure better communication? It's difficult for the lawyer to do that. Uh, the lawyer can have good communication with the client. I guess your question is, how do you ensure that the client or the testator in that case has good communication with the beneficiaries? I encourage it. I explain the importance of it and perhaps giving them some tools uh, how to approach the subject. A lot of people approach this as though it's a very dour uh, or macabre discussion. It is not. Uh, everybody at some point will die and to face the inevitable I think is part of life and to be prepared for that uh, is is an important step being prepared for that is how is my wealth how is my stuff going to be transferred to my loved ones and the intended beneficiaries or charities and so forth how is my estate going to be administered the way i intend for it to be administered somebody works hard all their life they accumulate wealth and some status and they've acquired friends and family and interests along the way it would be important i think to everybody who has accomplished that to properly dispose of it so that it minimizes conflict 
it reduces expense and meets the intentions of the testator. The only way that that can happen is for the testator to have, you know, the best way for that to happen is for the testator to have had a good conversation with the intended beneficiaries. You want to talk to the people closest to you about what it is they expect, what are some of their intentions or interests. Um, maybe somebody foresees uh, an expense for schooling. Uh, so you might want to know that that is important and you and the testator may need to accommodate that or may want to accommodate that. The testator may want to know that a certain item uh, in the house it has great sentimental value to that person and you want to have that conversation so that you don't leave behind uh, intentional um, errors or uh, intentions that might lead to uh, conflict or at least uh, you don't want to increase the grief. So having the conversation before you approach your lawyer with instructions uh, is important. And then once you have provided the instructions and the will is signed and it's being stored somewhere, have the conversation again. This is where the will is. This is who I saw. This is, you don't have to get into the details of the contents of the will. But as long as the instructions were made fully knowing what everybody expected, not you don't have to give everything to everybody that they want. You have to, I think it's important to know what it is uh, their interests are. Where are the bugaboos to avoid? Where are the sentimental value items that could go to one person uh, and not another in order to maximize you know, the intention of reducing conflict and uh, maximizing uh, efficiency and so forth. Uh, I, a lawyer can't ensure communication, uh, but a lawyer can encourage it, and certainly I encourage it before they come to see me and then afterwards uh, to have a discussion about where things are. And that's not even the end of it. Uh, we recommend to clients who have prepared their will here that after a significant event in their life, maybe the birth of a child uh, or the death of someone or the acquisition of a new uh, important obligation, uh, maybe a new job, that they may want to reconsider the contents of their will, what their intentions are. Uh, and every five years or so, pull out a copy of the will, uh, look it over to see if it continues to meet your intentions or your expectations. Uh, so uh, one important part is have a communi communicate with the expected uh, trustee or executor. We used to use the term executor. Communicate with that person, or if you have a few, communicate with them. If one of them moves to the United States, you may want to exclude them as an executor because there are important ramifications if an executor is a resident of the United States. There's tax implications of that. Uh, you may want to avoid. So an ongoing communication with your beneficiaries and your the trustees, the people who are going to administer your state, may be important in order to avoid unexpected consequences because of a changed circumstance since the time you prepared your will. So pull it out every five years or so and take a look and maybe contact your lawyer after a significant event in your life to just know that 
you know the will is is updated and and will meet your expectations uh, because the will only speaks from the moment of death it doesn't speak from the moment that you assigned it uh, so changing circumstances since assigning it may alter what it is you want to have happen with your estate well, thank you for that comment. And some of the things that happen in our lives as we go through our lives do change significantly. And I'm I'm guessing that people who are getting divorced or remarried should go to their lawyer and speak to their lawyer about getting their wills updated because I I bet that is a significant legal issue. When you are separating you are going through a redivision or a division of your assets and the resources you have available to you when you retire. So that's a significant change in your life. If you have a will at that point, you may want to reconsider what it says uh, because likely you've named your spouse as uh, a trustee or an executor, which is the same thing. So you, that's a significant change in your life that should be reflected in the will. You don't want your ex-spouse necessarily to act as your executor or to at least be named as your executor who may not be able to act anyway because of the separation or the divorce. So now that part of the will might be an intestacy. If everything goes to the spouse in the will, you may want to have reconsidered that. So when, when it's close to or when you're finally wrapping up the formalities of a, a separation, I think it's a good time then to reconsider the will in a lot of more detail. And when you are remarrying, it's a good time to reconsider a will. Marriage revokes a will. So you might have in your youth acquired some property and you've made some decisions about where it's going to go and then you get married if uh, the will you had before you were married is in place on marriage, that will now isn't valid unless it was uh, crafted in anticipation of that specific marriage. Then what you uh, need to do, and with a new family in place, you may want to redo your, your will in anticipating uh, that uh, one spouse is going to predecease the other. And then as you acquire uh, family obligations, increased family obligations with children or whatnot, uh, you may want to consider that as a new change in your life and you want to anticipate how things are going to go because you also want to deal with uh, guardianship of minors and, and uh, management of the minors' property that they receive on uh, by way of a will. When your family is older and out of the house and you acquire new family responsibilities, you may want to reconsider how everything uh, gets um, gets divided when you're when you've uh, passed on. And uh, like I say before, uh, on a changed circumstance, you may want to consider or at least take a good hard look at what the will said at the time that you signed it, because if circumstances have changed, you may want to change how property is distributed. Well, thank you for your comments. And you know what? This is so important, what you just said. And what we're really trying to do with this project is to educate Canadians so that they know some of these things, but more importantly, so that they seek out their lawyers in their own communities 
and address these topics and be upfront with the lawyer and say, here's where I'm at. Can you help me? And I bet a lot of Canadians will be very interested in your comments. And thank you for sharing how important it is to keep it current. And we are strong supporters of having people go and meet with their lawyers to work out these changes and, and to let Canadians know that uh, lawyers are so skilled at changing the wills to meet the circumstances. And if anything comes out of this project, we hope more Canadians go to their lawyers and hire their lawyers to keep the documents of their lives current. So thank you so, so much for those comments. My, uh, what I focus on what I, what I, when I'm talking to crowds, I liken a lawyer to a dentist. People have one dentist and they go see the dentist every six months or so. I'm not encouraging you to see your lawyer every six months, but I do encourage families to find somebody they're comfortable with who can be their legal advisor. When you come to buy a house, prepare a will, the ordinary legal necessities of living, it's a good idea to have somebody that you know and like and trust and that you can go and see uh, in order to receive legal counsel. I encourage people to adopt me as their family lawyer. Even if there's something I can't do for them, if I don't practice in a certain area, but a client, maybe I've prepared their will, maybe I've uh, helped them with uh, some business uh, counsel, maybe I've acted on a small uh, litigation matter for them, and they come and see me and they need a lawyer for an area of law I don't practice, I can help them. I can f help them find somebody who I put them in touch with and that person can take care of that uh, specific legal need. This accomplishes a few things. That lawyer gets to know the family. And when you come and see that lawyer because you're lending money maybe to an adult child, you want to have the legal niceties in place in order to avoid conflict down the road. That lawyer will know your family, will know some of your circumstances, and be better able to counsel you or send you somewhere where you will be well served. And with that relationship with families, you avoid the difficulties down the road when you have to go to find the will, for example. You know that the testator was dealing with, say, Timothy Sullivan during his lifetime. Uh, let's call him to see if he has the will because I may be a known entity because I also helped with uh, finding a lawyer to deal with real estate or finding a lawyer to deal with a personal injury matter or to uh, help somebody on an employment uh, situation or help craft a, a contract for uh, for a job they, they were getting or offering. So having a family lawyer, I encourage that as a one-stop shop, not for all the legal advice you'll obtain, but for the legal counsel you'll need, maybe even to find another lawyer to deal with a certain area. Uh, and when it comes to estate administration, it's very helpful to know uh, what lawyer helped do it because it might be that lawyer who's also going to help you with the, the legal, uh, if, if you do need legal help for the administration of an estate, it may be that lawyer that helps because that lawyer 
uh, acted for the deceased during the deceased's lifetime. Uh, so it might be uh, an easy way uh, to function. As long as you like the lawyer and the lawyer is able to do the work that is, is they're being tasked or you trust uh, the advice that they're giving, even if it's a matter of sending the client uh, to somebody who's a little bit more specialized in a, in a certain area. Well, thank you for that. And my next question is, what should people preparing their wills know about executors? Well, it depends on how big or how complicated the estate is. If you're dealing with what I will call a simple estate, which is really transferring from one spouse to another, uh, the executor should be the person who is receiving the bulk of the estate, and that is often the spouse. But it's not always the case, and you might need to name somebody other than the spouse, uh, even as an alternate executor. I want to caution people giving me instructions on preparing a will that naming an executor is not always a favor that you're doing for that executor. Being an executor in, a, in an estate is sometimes difficult. It requires some diplomatic skills. It requires putting aside one's own interests and acting for the estate, sometimes even to your own detriment. And it is not always an easy task. So when you're naming an executor, it should be somebody you trust and it should be somebody who has the capacity, the capabilities of administering the estate, but it also should be somebody who wants to do it. Uh, getting uh, a reluctant executor is going to be a challenge for everybody. Uh, getting somebody who is not up to the task might be uh, might cause problems down the road uh, with things not getting done or things uh, being done improperly. So I never give advice who should be named as the executor, except in the case of a, uh, a couple's will as the spouses um, naming each other. But when it comes to naming somebody other than the spouse, it's, uh, it's a challenge for the testator, uh, but because the testator has to balance the, is the person capable, is the person willing, um, and am I doing anybody else a, a disservice by naming that executor, including am I doing the executor a disservice, because it is a bit of a thankless task. Uh, one does not make a lot of money at doing it. Uh, there is such a thing as executor's compensation, uh, but that's to make up for some of the time and, and difficulties. It, it, it hardly ever makes anybody uh, a lot of money to do it that way. Uh, so entering this relationship by naming an executor, uh, you want to know that the person wants to do it, and you want to know that that person has your trust in getting that done properly. And a personal note on that, I was my parents' executors, and just out of personal experience, I will tell you that it is a long process and it is a job that can take years. And if people think that they are named as executors and it's all going to get wrapped up in a month or two, I will tell them from personal experience, it does not, at least in, in our family situation. And um, they need to know that it might take a long time. And that's assuming 
as it was in our case, that everything went well and there was no family fighting and we didn't go to court or anything. And even as a loving family, it took a long time. So people really need to know that it's a really tough job and can be a very long job. There's a lot of detail involved. Even if the beneficiaries uh, are cooperative and helpful and like each other and only wish for the best to reduce conflict, uh, there become some areas and some issues that need to be approached delicately. It is a challenge. Uh, it's not an easy job uh, to get done necessarily. And yes, it does take a lot of, uh, even in the best of circumstances, it takes a bit of a diplomatic touch uh, because there are some choices to make. You. You, not everything is always dealt with in the will. You do need the cooperation of some beneficiaries if things are going to change. Getting along well is great, but there still might be you know, a few hiccups and a few obstacles uh, along the way uh, when choices are to be made. And e two equally fine choices, two reasonable people may make different choices on a particular issue uh, you still have to make the choice and you want to smooth it out as best as you can uh, among the beneficiaries uh, when there's conflict or adverse personalities and adverse positions taken. That increases the complexity, it increases the cost, and likely increases the delay in the administration. So I agree. It is a, a difficult job at the best of times. Uh, the person taking on the task should want to do it, and uh, the the testator uh, should know what the beneficiary's uh, interests are after having had that discussion. If a cottage is going to one child and not another, that's not really something you want to have to spring on the child not getting the cottage. And it doesn't have to be as big as a cottage. It can be a family heirloom. And you want to have walked through that in order to have heard what everybody said about that brooch or the cottage in order to make it a little easier and less expensive on the executor. Because when you increase the expense of the administration of the estate, what you're doing is you're decreasing what the beneficiaries can receive. My next question is, what kinds of conversations should you have with your family about their wills and their estates? Well, frequent and honest conversations, I guess. Uh, when you are planning your estate, you want to know what somebody wants. I've walked through the house with my parents years and years ago, and I told them the things that were important to me, some were of uh, high financial value, but they had a bit of a sentimental uh, attachment. I had a little bit of a sentimental attachment to, uh, to some of them. There's a painting. I've always very much liked the painting. It's not a very big painting, but it really goes with a lot of the art I have, and I've always liked that painting. And I told my parents, I've always liked that painting. That's the end of the story. I'm not saying I want it. I'm not saying that um, I think it's worth a lot and I would sell it when I get it. I've told them I like that painting. There was a Hummel figurine uh, 
that a great aunt of mine had. And it's the only thing in the house, I think, from that great aunt who was my grandmother's twin sister. So she was, I never saw my grandmother without seeing this great aunt because uh, they lived together when I was, uh, when I was young, they lived together and they never lived very far apart, I guess, during lifetime. In any event, I explained to my parents that I liked that, not because it's a Hummel figurine, but because it's the only thing in the house that represents that particular great aunt of mine. That being out there, I explained to my parents the importance of those items to me, and whatever decision they make is going to be made with that information in mind. Uh, it's an honest discussion. I like that painting. It's worth a lot. I like that figure in. It's not really worth a whole lot, but I explained why it is of sentimental value to me. Uh, there was also a soapstone carving that I that my mother bought while I was there, and we had. A, I remember having a conversation about buying it, and I was pretty young. And I think it's even been slightly broken since, so I don't think it's worth much uh, money. Uh, but I. I do have a, a vivid recollection of the discussion with soapstone carving to buy, and I express that to my parents. If they give that soapstone carving away to one of my siblings, that's fine, because maybe the sibling has had the conversation, I really like this because, and then they can get into it. As long as the testator knows when they're giving instructions, having had an honest conversation with the beneficiaries, then there sh should be a reduced conflict, if any. Uh, and again, having a frequent conversation with them, I mean, not a nightly conversation, but every few years or so, have a discussion. What is it you are planning with this new acquisition? or now you have grandchildren, what's the plan for their education? And parents want to know what, what the plan is as far as, you know, what are the grandparents intending? Grandparents want to know what their children are intending or planning to, to do about the education of the grandchildren. That kind of discussion should happen so that there are fewer surprises down the road. You want to avoid, if, you know, if a, if a child is coming into a very uh, big estate, maybe they could have put off borrowing some money, uh, knowing that they were inheriting uh, something that could have covered that expense. Just knowing, having the honest and frequent conversation about intentions, plans, uh, what's the best, what's the worst circumstance that can happen. Uh, that goes a long way in knowing how an estate is to be administered, uh, even when that soapstone carving isn't accounted for in the will, when the beneficiaries are having the discussion about the small stuff, then at least you know, you know, this conversation was had, my parents didn't give it to me outright, they allowing, they're allowing the, uh, the siblings to have the discussion about who gets what, that's helpful. It's helpful to have had the conversation uh, repeatedly or updated so that we don't have surprises. Having surprises in a will, I think, creates 
when, when, when the family members are dealing with the fallout of uh, death in the family, there's grief, there's planning, uh, old rivalries come to the fore, um, some things are unaccounted for, some people can't make it to the funeral on time, whatever the challenges are during that time, what you don't want to have to have is this added legal conflict and frequent and honest conversation among the family and the other beneficiaries. There could be some charities involved. There could be uh, some family friends. And my next question is, how does all of this affect blended families? Blended families being a the, the new uh, family uh, can arise from separation and divorce or from death. And when somebody's taking on an instant family, you want to be able to uh, manage that and account for uh, the first family, I guess. When you're taking on a new family and new family responsibilities, I think it's important to deal with that at the earliest stage and certainly quickly after you've acquired those family responsibilities. A new marriage, for example, will revoke a will. So if you've had a will in a, in a plan with a spouse and you are no longer spouses, either through death or through separation, and then you get married again, all that planning is no more. Your new spouse, if you don't have a new will, uh, will follow the rules of intestacy and possibly get half your estate, perhaps. And that might not have been intended. Maybe your adult children and some of the grandchildren may uh, sh should have been in line uh, to receive. So in the case of a blended family and you have obligations like dependence perhaps from a first relationship or maybe you don't have the dependence but you have expectations from the members of the first family, uh, you may want to have a thorough discussion about what is going to happen, what should happen, what can happen and I think you need a lawyer in some of that discussion because you want to know what the effect of the death of somebody is. You want to know what the effect of a marriage is going to have on the legal landscape, and you want to know what a new will can do and should do. And if you have that blended family, uh, the legal landscape has changed dramatically without ever setting foot in a courtroom. So I think at that stage, it's vitally important to have you know, spend an hour with a lawyer to discuss the legal landscape that is changing because of the the new situation. And it, I think it's of vital importance at that stage to talk about possibly a prenuptial agreement, possibly uh, doing new wills, um, and establishing a bit of an estate plan in order that we reduce surprises on the death of that uh, testator who has acquired an entirely new set of responsibilities that may not may be in to totally unaccounted for 
uh, in the estate plan or in the uh, in the existing will. And my final question for you is this one. How can a lawyer help in all of these communications? When I sit down with a client or clients, I often take a husband and a wife and I take their instructions on to prepare a will. I will ask them, have you had a conversation with the beneficiaries? And if it's a new couple, they don't really have beneficiaries. But they do have alternate executors named or intended to name. So they should have that, had the conversation with that. So I ensure that I've at least pointed out to the clients that they have to have that conversation. When I'm doing wills, I'm often doing powers of attorney as well, both for personal care and for property. And I have a very thorough questionnaire involved in the preparation of my powers of attorney. And one of them includes, have you talked to your uh, attorney for property or your attorney for care about this appointment and are they willing to act? Uh, but I also hand out a bit of a flowchart and I leave it to the client to deal with it as they see fit. It has no particular legal bearing. It has no uh, legal effect uh, if they fill it out uh, or don't fill it out. But what I encourage my clients to do is to sit down with their family members and have a discussion about what happens if. And it's got a series of medical conditions on one side and a series of um, medical treatments that are possible, not directly relating to the medical condition. Uh, if somebody suffers a mild stroke, uh, is a respirator uh, to be used in the event that a respirator is required. So have that conversation. And what I've done with my clients is I've given them this chart and I've encouraged them to have the discussion. In the case, uh, my wife was asked to be uh, an alternate uh, attorney to some uh, family members. And she was going to go have a conversation. What are your interests? What are your intentions? What are your values? She asked me, do you have anything to have that conversation? And I gave her the chart. I don't know. I hadn't. I hadn't discussed it with her because we hadn't. I, she's not a client, so I didn't give it to her before. But she went off and she talked to her family members and the uh, and the primary attorney, and they went through the chart. And she came back and reported that it's helpful. It doesn't solve all the problems and it doesn't uh, get to every single uh, circumstance, but it starts the conversation. And the conversation is that of, you know, my values. What do I want to have in the event of? And it flows nicely because estates and powers of attorney are, you know, two sides of the same coin. And uh, when you're preparing one, you're often preparing the other. When you're preparing uh, powers of attorney, uh, you're probably also having a discussion about uh, wills and, and how your estate is going to flow uh, because your attorney has to know a bit about what your estate is going to do so they don't deplete the estate before the will speaks. Uh, 
So uh, they work together. And a lawyer advising on both wills and powers of attorney can show how they interrelate and encourage the conversation to be had uh, so that they work together because they work at different times. Powers of attorney end on death and a will only starts speaking from the moment of death. So they, they're never working at the same time, but they do work cooperatively uh, in, the, in, in getting the intentions of the uh, donor in the case of the power of attorney and the testator in the case of the will who can be this, who are the same people we just use different terms for them we want to know what they're doing uh, in one document and the other in order that they work together and you have to have a conversation with your trustee and your executors uh, your attorney and your executors to uh, make that system work a little bit more seamlessly than if you don't have a conversation uh, with them uh, can happen well, thank you for that. And really, thank you, Timothy, for spending the time with me today to help our audience understand some of the important issues that you've brought up. And I am sure people will listen to this podcast, think about it, contact either you or their own lawyer wherever they live across Canada and say, you know what, these are important issues in my life. And our whole purpose with this project is education and really having people go find their lawyers and lawyers will help solve these issues and give people greater peace of mind. So thank you so much for joining our project. Could you please share your contact information with us? Yes, my name is Timothy Sullivan. I practice at my law firm, Sullivan Law, which is one word. I have a website at sullivanlaw.ca. I can be reached in Ottawa. My phone number is 613-730-8865. And I'm happy to be contacted through my website. There's an email contact there. It has my phone number and my address, and there's even a map. Well, perfect, and thank you for that. And we ask everyone to continue to follow our project at www.caregivingmatters.ca. Thank you.